case for the size we'll see project in the UK. Um, and size we'll see is a, a proposed new nuclear power plant in Suffolk. Hello, everyone. Uh, on today's episode of the Afrinuke podcast, we have Claire Togus from the Sizewell C construction site in the UK. Uh, we want to have um, a very interesting conversation with her on issues bordering the construction and also uh, uh, nuclear technology and renewables. And she can also give us some tips about the COP26 coming up in the UK. So, Claire, can you tell us a bit about yourself and what you do? Thanks for having me. So, I'm Claire. I currently work in the UK nuclear industry um, on the development of the Sizewell C project. Um, so Sizewell C is a proposed new nuclear power plant in Suffolk and it will be an exact copy of Hinkley Point C which is currently under construction in Somerset in the UK and once operational Sizewell C could provide 7% of Britain's current energy demand and that's the equivalent of about 6 million homes. Um, so I'm part of the financing and economic regulation team um, for the Sizewell C project, which is a bit of a mouthful, but really what it means is that we're the team that are engaging the government and investors to help make the case for the Sizewell C project. And something else that we're looking at is developing the wider uses of nuclear. Um, and this is something that's quite exciting that we're looking to do with Sizewell C, which will actually be different to Hinkley Point C and all other nuclear power plants uh, currently operational in the UK. So whereas Hinkley Point C will be built to produce grid-scale electricity and, and solely provide its power to the grid, at Sizewell C we're actually looking at building it to be energy centre ready. Um, and so what that means is that the, the vast amounts of heat um, and low carbon energy that are produced by the nuclear plant um, will be used for a range of different um, purposes. And so we're looking at potentially co-locating things like hydrogen production and producing synthetic fuels and possibly providing some of the low carbon heat to industrial processes and district heating. So it's kind um, of a hybrid um, type, is it? Yeah, absolutely. So uh, call it the size of the energy hub and, and elements of it are new. Um, so things like hydrogen um, is, a, is a new techno- new green technology that we'd be looking to generate with, with nuclear power. Um, but also other elements like the use of nuclear heat um, for industrial heating networks, although it's not something that's been done in the UK, it actually has been done in another, a number of other countries around the world. Um, so it's just just new for the UK, and it's something that actually also increases the flexibility of the nuclear power plant. That's um, so it help. The Sizewell C uh, reactor type is it going to be a smaller one compared to the Hinkley Point C? Like no, so Sizewell C, Sizewell C will be an exact copy of Hinkley Point exact C. Copy. Okay. Um, so Hinkley Point C is a twin EPR reactor design. Um, And a huge amount of work went into um, getting that reactor design approved through the UK regulation process. Um, And so there's some real benefits um, of replicating what's been done at Hickey Point T at Sizewell C. Um, The difference with Sizewell C is that we're looking at once that EPR reactor has been built, can we use the the low carbon heat and the low carbon um, electricity that's produced in different ways. Um, But the design itself will be a replication and and there'll be big benefits um, in terms of efficiencies as a result of that. Okay, that's fantastic. Uh, And, you know, uh, nuclear projects globally have a very interesting characteristics and um, it surrounds a whole lot of... um, uh, uh, industries getting to have some kind of vested interest and people as well but um, the people or the land where it's going to be built um, must have their own say and that comes to the politics so 
what is the current political sentiment around nuclear and how will the project be financed? How? What's the- In the UK, there have been a number of um, announcements um, around the future energy mix and the way that the, the government see us meeting our ambition to reach net zero. Um, and I should probably just start by saying that, that actually in the UK, the government have committed to a legally binding target to achieve net zero by 2050. Um, and so at the end of last year, um, they came out with two things. There was something called the Prime Minister's 10-point plan, um, which set out 10 key technologies, um, which he saw as playing a, the government see as playing a key role in, in reaching net zero. And there was also something called uh, the Energy White Paper. Um, and both of those announcements set out a commitment to, to nuclear and a recognition that nuclear and renewables together um, can play a key role in our, our future net zero energy mix. Um, yeah, that's really interesting. You know, I'm having to see the nuclear technology lending its hands to various um, uh, kind of application. It's really interesting to see because uh, people have always seen it as something that just generates um, electricity and um, having it to lend itself to hydrogen generation like gives a lot of credence to the, the climate change um, pursuits uh, that nations are, are onto currently. So um, it's really interesting to see how that is going. So can you tell us a bit more about the finance? Like at what stage it is like, are there fears that it might not scale like the Hinkley Point C or like what is being done like in comparison with the Hinkley Point C? Like I wonder. Yeah, absolutely. So Hinkley Point C was the first nuclear new build project in the UK okay. in a generation. Um, so it really revived the new build industry and it's created thousands of jobs across the whole country for its supply chain. Um, and size will see, as I mentioned, intends to replicate what's been done at Hinkley Point C. So yeah. use all the skills and the knowledge and the people that have been developed through the new build program for Hinkley Point C to, to build size will see. Um, and that's significant for the financing um, because this replication reduces the um, cost of financing and the cost of financing was about two thirds of the Hinkley Point C strike price. Um, but for size or C, because the, the risk associated with the construction project um, will be significantly lower, um, we're exploring um, a, a regulated asset base model, financing model. Um, but what that means is that because there's lower risk, there's an opportunity to bring in the financing at a lower cost and then okay. quite significantly reduce the cost. Um, so the current proposed financing model and, and um, that the size of the project are engaging with the government on about is, is the regulated asset base model. And this model would allow... Um, UK financial investors, so your big institutional investors like pension funds, to invest in the, the project. Wow, that's quite interesting to know to have a regulator-based financing model. Like I'm just hearing this for the first time, <laughs> and you know, um, it's the major discouraging factor, or may, do I say determining factor, to many countries or people that want to get the technology, the finance, and having this um, financing model. I, I really hope that um, it comes up um, sooner than later, and. Um, you know, I, I got a, a lot of um, uh, people commenting about the high cost of runs and not just the comment, but it's normally the, the mainstay of how nuclear power plant um, new builds are like it's usually a very capital intensive project. And um, if this can come on and um, show a very strong point that it can be done, I, I think it will sound a very great um, uh, uh, note to the international community that... Um, nuclear can be done and um, which um, all parties um, are agreeing to it and um, yeah this takes me to the next point you know um, uh, nuclear technology 
um, starting to be applied for nuclear power plants and for electricity generation uh, has been since 1950s and um, the UK and the developed world has been ahead of um, this in this technology and um, this current clamor for climate change and the COP26 coming up in the UK uh, luckily the UK is pro-nuclear and um, I'm happy that this is happening in the soil uh, where the COP um, uh, delegates will be coming. And I hope that um, the community over there are really gearing up to give a very strong position for nuclear. So as COP is upon us uh, coming in um, November, what is your take on the UK and Africa's um, energy landscape? Africa is um, quite vast and um, diverse as well. Uh, how can these two... Um, um, uh, uh, People, UK and Africa, these two entities, how can they um, kind of um, collaborate to reach their climate goals and um, what are the things they can learn from each other as they as they carry on uh, on this and the climate journey? Yeah, I mean, so COP26 is the biggest summit the UK has ever hosted um, and it's you know the most significant climate event since the Paris Agreement, um, which is when the countries committed to keeping temperatures below two degrees. Um, so COP26 is an opportunity to set even more ambitious climate goals. Um, and there are some certainly similarities in the challenges that the UK and, and Africa face in, in order to reach net zero. So as I mentioned, the UK government set a, a legally binding target to reach net zero. And I understand South Africa um, last year also set a similar target to reach net zero by 2050. Um, so in the UK, the current energy mix is about 40% gas, 20% uh, renewables, 20% nuclear and 10% from other sources such as coal and imports. So in order to reach net zero, the coal and the gas need to, need to come off the energy system. Um, and also the Committee on Climate Change, who are the body that advise the UK government on, on net zero and climate related issues, have said that not only will we need to replace the, the carbon intensive forms of energy on our system, they're also forecasting that the actual energy demands of the UK will double and, and that's as things like cars move to electric and yeah. other potentially heat so so much more of our activities will be powered by electricity um, so the scale of that that challenge is huge um, and similarly in, in Africa um, I think perhaps even a slightly larger portion of the current energy mix is is coal at the moment yeah. um, so Which in order to bring that off yeah, yeah. So in order to, to replace that and, and get to net zero, we're going to need a lot more of, of all forms of low carbon technology. So that's renewables, nuclear, and also some of these new emerging technologies like hydrogen and CCUS, which is looking at capturing carbon from the atmosphere. Um, so I think, yeah, absolutely. I mean, COP26 is an opportunity for all countries to come together and then countries like Africa and UK, the UK to come together and set ambitious climate targets and also discuss that pathway for how they will actually reach the, the net zero ambitions. Yeah, that's really good. And, and there's a very great lesson, especially from the UK, having a very clear uh, definition of their goals towards 2050. Uh, so many um, African countries don't have that clear cut um, uh, definitions of um, where they're actually going if um, in the energy scape on trying to reach the climate goals. So uh, it's really a great lesson to uh, for most African countries to learn from these clear definitions of um, where they are going. And thanks to South Africa who already have uh, stated that uh, they have that um, 
a net zero goal for 2050. That's really interesting to know. I hope um, so many African countries uh, listening to this podcast uh, will uh, actually adopt this um, clear defined goals. And um, as, since we've talked about this COP26 and um, how renewables and nuclear should combine, this is a very great um, uh, um, low carbon resource that we can use to meet our energy needs. Uh, do you think there is any way the these two industries, because the renewables, when people are saying um, renewables, I was talking with Jeremy Gordon uh, earlier. So he was like, when people are saying um, we need to go 100% renewables, that's like saying zero nuclear, you know. <laughs> so um, do you think there is any way we can combine these two industries to work together in the run up to COP26 or going further in the, uh, in the net zero goal? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I think nuclear and renewables um, both have a completely vital part to play in a, a future net zero energy mix. Um, renewables are a fantastic technology. The, the cost has come down significantly over the last decade and, and the technology is continually developing. Um, so in the UK, we're now looking at things like floating wind, which can be further offshore, um, which opens up the amount of seabeds um, in which to build them, but also allows them to capture the um greater levels of wind that you get further offshore. Um, however, renewables are a variable source of generation. Um, so quite simply, you know, when the wind doesn't blow and the sun doesn't shine, they don't generate power. Um, and therefore you need, in order to, to balance your energy mix and to keep the lights on all the time, a form of baseload in that mix alongside renewables. Um, France and Sweden are great examples of countries who have decarbonized their electricity systems using a mix of nuclear and renewables. Um, and countries like the UK and Africa can look to these countries as a bit of a blueprint for their own future energy mixes. And there's a clear role there for the nuclear and renewables industries to, to collaborate and work together. Um, I think there's also examples from countries you know, like Germany and, and California where you can quite clearly see the potential consequences of looking to decarbonize without nuclear. Um, and I think Germany is the, the one that's often pointed to as a, a country that's invested really heavily in, in renewables at the exclusion of, of nuclear. And actually, in, in spite of that really heavy investment um, and the money put into renewables, they still have struggled to decarbonize their, their energy mix. And I, I think in January this year, Germany actually had to announce plans to open new coal plants. And what that shows is that there, there isn't really this choice between renewables and nuclear. Um, if you the opposite to, to nuclear isn't more renewables, it's something like a, a carbon intensive baseload like gas, with the exception, of course, of a couple of countries who have great natural resources for technologies like geothermal and hydro. Um, so Norway is an example of one of these countries, um, and they get their baseload from these renewable sources. But overall, um, I think there's a, a clear role for the nuclear renewables to play together in a in an energy mix and to ensure that we can reach net zero. Wow, that's really great and uh, informative. Um, Claire, you've talked really authoritatively about nuclear technology and um, how it should interface with renewables and how countries have made decisions on combining this dual powerful energy resource. Uh, there are very few people like you, especially uh, gender-based, uh, talking about gender. Like I, I consider you a very fantastic um, female working in the nuclear industry. It's very rare. I've met um, a female um, reactor operator, though she went on to work in an international organization. 
Uh, so I would say that you are one of a kind, like one in a million, if I may say. So it really lends credence to the abilities of the human mind and um, people should not be limited by their maybe gender or whatever um, biases may come up from societal constructs. So uh, I'm really um, uh, uh, enthralled by how you are able to demonstrate and really explain this hardcore technology, especially uh, 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 for the UK uh, energy and uh, nuclear energy development um, plans. So I kind of wonder what does nuclear technology, seeing the passion you are showing and how you are able to um, demonstrate the direction that the, your country is going in this um, technology. What does nuclear technology mean to you? And um, do you think that um, someone can maybe through your suggestion uh, get something, maybe more information or can you point someone to somewhere where the person can get a similar passion as yours or like the information that makes you more confident talking about nuclear? So what does nuclear technology mean to you and where can people go to find out more about this technology? Yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? I mean, I think um, in terms of gender balance and diversity in the nuclear industry, um, it's absolutely something in the UK that we've got some some clear ambitions around. Um, I think there are parts of the the industry because there's such a huge range of roles within nuclear um, where you do get much more balance. Um, but there are also other areas like the construction side of the projects, which have typically, you know, historically been much more male-dominated careers. Yeah. Um, so there's a huge amount of work that, that's going on to look at, um, not just in nuclear, but across a number of industries. What can we do to promote um, like science and technology and engineering and math subjects at schools um, at that young age to, to get more gender balance there and then bring that up through the pipeline so that we do end up with workplaces that really reflect the societies that we live in because we understand that that's something that, that is hugely beneficial to to decision making and, and creativity and um, creating inclusive workplaces and I, I think that's absolutely something that the the UK nuclear industry and, and through these new build projects actually where there's this opportunity to bring in new people and we're creating new jobs and careers through this um, it's how, how can we do that and, and what can we do to ensure that we have an inclusive workplace that does appeal to everyone um, so that even at the, the recruitment stage we're, we're bringing a diverse range of people in. I think in terms of uh, yeah what does does nuclear technology mean to me I, I think it's a it's a vital part of the the future energy mix and it's a really key technology that can help us get to net zero it, it's proven and it's scalable and that's that's what we need to get to net zero by 2050 in that, that time-bound way. I also think the projects, you know, ultimately a new build nuclear project is a huge infrastructure project. And you mentioned the local areas earlier on there. Um, so they create thousands of jobs and um, we're looking at things like apprenticeships and graduate schemes and, and local outreach to ensure that those jobs are um, having the socioeconomic impact that they, the biggest socioeconomic impact that they can really um, there are, um, you know, it is interesting, there are public perception issues around nuclear and, and traditionally I think the industry hasn't been um, necessarily the best about talking outwardly about the, the benefits of the technology. Um, so I think for anyone, you know, just starting out and, and looking to understand a bit more, um, I'm part of a network called Friends of Nuclear Energy. Um, so it's a group cool. of students and young professionals. Um, it's been set up to really look at how we can provide very kind of easy, accessible um, 
fact-based content on nuclear to promote the benefits of the technology outside the industry. Um, so I would suggest people have a look at the, the sort of Instagram and, and LinkedIn pages that we have. And um, this is a podcast, right? isn't it? So could we put, yeah, we could maybe put the, the links in the podcast notes. I can, can sure, send those across to you. No problem. I'll share the link. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. So that's great. Like, uh, so people can always um, connect to friends, uh, friends for nuclear, right? Yeah, and, and you're part of the the YGN, is is that right? Because that's another great um, sort of group of young people looking to yeah communicate and, and, and the UK YGN actually nuclear. making very strong efforts towards um, the COP twenty six. So I can't really wait to to see the great um, <laughs> outcome of their um, so much long term um, investments to this ideal. So um, you, you've been in the industry for quite a while now, being able to demonstrate so much authority and information about the construction going on and also uh, uh, issues bordering um, diversity, the, 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 the unique application of the Sizewell C project. That shows a very great wealth of information and depth of knowledge as well about the technology. So I wonder, like, what are the things that have uh, helped you? What resources have you... I uh, used uh, that helped you to progress in your career to this level like some people that are coming up undecided about nuclear technology or like a career in, um, uh, in an engineering um, or STEM field for example might be wondering oh this is a challenge to me like what kind of resources has helped you to this level in your career mm. yeah so I mean I joined EDF um, as part of their graduate scheme um, EDF, so it was right? after I yeah, so EDF, uh, French-owned uh, energy companies, so okay. largely sort of nuclear, but also looking at renewables um, in the UK as well. And yeah, I joined on their, their graduate scheme um, about four years ago now. Um, and during that scheme, I did four six-month placements. So you're naturally rotated around the, the, the business, which is an opportunity to really speak to different people, hear about different roles, hear about different parts of the industry. Um, I think that's something that's hugely beneficial in any career, actually, regardless of where you work. When you you first join, just um, doing what you can to understand different parts of a business and, and get a broader understanding of the industry you work in. Um, so even if you're not on a graduate scheme, um, there, there's always ways to do that. And I think joining joining networks or, or events and, and just speaking to, to people um in roles that you're interested in is a good way to build your knowledge um, and I think that's something that's, that's very helpful. That's good. So your company perhaps like more or less provided the environment for you to grow in. That's really interesting and for companies that are looking to to build nuclear um, power plants and also um, develop the technology in some areas is very important for them to actually take the 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 overall growth of the human resource uh, into consideration so that um, there will be a logical progression of the and career kind of um, progression if i may say in this um, company so um you've really touched on a very um, important part uh, of our of our of, of this um, podcast and um, i wonder like um you've um, talked about many aspects and um I'm kind of drawn to ask you one more question before we round off. I wonder, like, what's the best way to communicate to its people? I know there are some issues that make people uncomfortable when it comes to nuclear. It's either they, they don't know some things or they know and they are afraid of that thing they know or they are totally like, like, 
I don't know, maybe unaware or like thrown off balance by some facts. So I wonder, like, how do you communicate with people about nuclear technology? Like, how do you send a message about the benefits that this nuclear technology has to offer? Not just from yeah. the, not just from the technical side, but when you come to the the social side, the economics, and um, the the jobs that it provides. You've talked about like, but people need to communicate it in a more clear way for people to actually see that this is what this technology can provide or bring to them. Yeah. Yeah. So I think there's a few a few things around yeah. communicating actually that are, that are helpful to bear in mind. Um, so the first is is something that's true for any communication really is to understand that people are coming to a conversation um, with different background and level of understanding to you and, and possibly some, some different perceptions around nuclear um, as well. And so initially, I would say just always lead with the positives um, because I think they really do speak for themselves and that they're not necessarily things that are, are well understood. A, a common mistake, particularly if you work in the nuclear industry, is to assume, for example, that people know that nuclear is low carbon coal and gas aren't and if we're going to reduce carbon emissions and tackle climate change then then nuclear can play a really important role in that um that's that's you know a really good point to to lead on i think um other kind of main benefits of of nuclear are the fact that it is proven and it's it's large scale and it's something that's been operating um in the uk and around the world for, for decades now um in terms of then um some of the more common uh, questions that we get asked around nuclear, I, I think it's just making sure that um, responses are always fact-based, um, always very balanced, and um, and generally, you know, that can can uh, have a very positive effect on the the sort of perception that people have of, of the technology. Yeah, being fact-based is really a very strong point you have there, and um, this brings me to the last question: like, um, what advice would you give to someone wanting to pursue undecided about? A career similar to yours? Yeah, I mean, in terms of advice, I think I'd say, um, you know, if you're looking for variety um, and uh, an opportunity to sort of contribute to tackling climate change and achieving net zero, um, then the nuclear industry and, and more broadly the energy industry are great places to start a career. Um, there's roles ranging from, you know, engineering, finance, to project management, and, and more communications and advocacy type roles. Um, so there really is something for for everyone there. Um, and we're also going to need a lot more people um, if we're going to build the capacity um, that we're forecasting we will need um, in order to get to net zero in the future. Um, it's definitely not a, a small challenge. So I would encourage anyone that, that is interested in, in this type of industry and that type of role to to take a look. And, and there are you know, a huge number of opportunities out there because these are the technologies that we're needing and um are investing in and so that the industry is already going to grow cool that's really fantastic and um very adept and rich in its contents so i really want to appreciate the time with you you've talked you've talked about so many aspects and um i i kind of feel that so many people listening to this podcast might want to like um jump on the boat and begin to like look for opportunities to work in the nuclear industry because it's so well and clearly painted to be an exciting place to be in and um, to explore and also to live and um, prospect in so I really want to appreciate the time with you. And I just want to ask you just one more question. Just one more, one more, one more, Claire. So I don't know, like, do you have any last words? Like um, people that are coming to COP26, like what are some exciting packs you have for them? Like, do you think 
uh, the people will be well. Um, I mean, like, what should be the expectation? You know, when there is a great expectation from people coming from all around the world, you know, coming to your country, like, what what are the exciting things they should expect? Uh, for example, yeah, I mean, <laughs> I think you know, COP twenty six is is very exciting. It is. It's been postponed a year, but it, it's happening this year, and it is an opportunity for all of these countries from around the world to get together and look at what they agreed in 2015 on the Paris Agreement um, and keeping temperatures below two degrees and, and look at what further commitments they can make. It's, it's certainly broader than nuclear and even the energy industry because it's about tackling climate change as a whole. Um, I think particularly for young people, we know that, that young youth climate action has played a really big role in putting pressure on governments and driving some of the, the decisions that are being made around how we can tackle climate change and the importance that this issue has um, for the general population in this in this age. Um, so I would say, you know, have a look at the local groups and that there's things like I know in the UK, the YGN Net Zero Needs Nuclear Campaign is a, a really great one to take a look at. Um, but there's also, there will be local ones in, in different countries as well. And just sort of add your voice to that and, and do what you can to sort of join in and um, make it clear that tackling climate change is a, a priority that we want governments to look at. Cool. So make it clear, climate change is what we must look at. COP26 is upon us. The Hinkley Point C is under construction. Sizewell will hopefully follow suit. The resources that has helped you has so, 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 so enriching. And um, the nuclear uh, renewables combination is a very great one that we must look at. And um, I think there is a very great future for uh, nations to collaborate and see the future together so that they can all work together to achieving a common goal. And I really want to thank you immensely for featuring on this episode of Afrinuk podcast, Claire Togos. Thank you so much. And I hope and I'm looking forward to having you again yeah it's been lovely speaking to you thanks very much for having me